Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. There are lots of ways one might define a good leader, and many figures one could readily select as examples. But at Pioneer's Post, we're interested in a specific kind of leader. We're looking for those leaders who are both trying to make a difference and doing business differently. These are the leaders treading that fine line between money and mission for the benefit of people and planet. So welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West, founding editor of PioneersPost.com. Hello and welcome to the Good Leaders podcast and a very warm welcome to our guest Esther Foreman, founder and CEO of the Social Change Agency, a 10-year-old social enterprise that, simply put, works with people to make change happen. And its sister organisation, the Social Change Nest, a community interest company that started up with the shock of the COVID crisis three years ago and provides practical support such as grant distribution and what it calls fiscal hosting, allowing grassroots groups to engage funders, deliver programmes for the communities. Since it launched in 2020, Social Change Nest says it has supported over 400 groups and helped distribute over £16 million into the hands of those who need it most. So, Esther, as I say, a very warm welcome to our podcast. Uh, Thank you, Tim. So, look, tell us about these two social enterprises. Where are they based? What are these the big problems that they are trying to solve? And how do they make change happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, first of all, it's great to be on here. I've been following it for since it started, so I'm I'm very uh, right, flattered to be here. Um, the social change agency was set up ten years ago, so we've hit our ten uh, year uh, anniversary. And simply, I came out of the charity sector working in campaigns and organizing and saw the whole tech revolution take place and realized that the charity sector was so far behind understanding where tech could fundamentally shift power between communities and institutions. And I was determined to set up uh, an agency to help bridge that divide um, and build movements in a way which democratized power and decision-making. Fast forward 10 years. And we worked with a range of different clients um, to help achieve social impact when you want to mobilize and bring together lots of people to create change. And the agency has is a, is a, a for-profit social enterprise. Um, so we mm-hmm. do have um, social impact to the heart. We do a B Corps. Um, and we've always taken all the um, learnings, insights, and delivered them back out to people that need them through free teaching or pay what you can, um, tools, handbooks, whatever. They're all on our website. Go and have a look. Um, But we've also supported lots and lots and lots of different movements to get going. And we're really under the skin of the networks, uh, power dynamics, group dynamics, um, administrative uh, function and governance of how you get movements and networks to power up. Um, we were experimenting with fiscal hosting uh, just before the pandemic hit. We were supporting a number of movements, thinking about how they could access institutions and funding without having to be forced into behaving in a way that was counterculture to their values. And um, fiscal hosting is massive in the States. It's a really normal um, kind of discipline. Over here, not so much. 
Mm. And um, we wanted to be able to create a um, kind of service which did all of the heavy lifting for the groups uh, or movements and they could go on and do the social impacts. Um, and because we're most of my team are of movements we've all come from I've come from a disability rights movement um I've you know we've got other people come from the feminist movements and um and more there's lots we bring a rich display so we kind of we brought that uh values base with us um when the pandemic hit we knew from a huge piece of work we'd done with help refugees and Paul Hamlin Foundation that the communities would mobilize faster than government we just knew that would happen and we knew that the um the, the way that communities uh, can mobilise quickly, they need trust and transparency to do so. Um, and we found this amazing piece of technology that had come out of Extinction Rebellion. Uh, they brought it to us because we were working with a few of them um, called Open Collective, which enabled transparent bookkeeping. And we literally downed tools, the social change agency, for two months at the start of the pandemic. It's kind of crazy time mm-hmm. when lockdown began and and you can see all the mutual aid networks started to appear at a hyper-local level. We prototyped Open Collective um, and we just got going. And the foundations, our founding foundations, Paul Hamlin, um, Changing Ideas, um, Lang Kelly and Blaygrave phoned me up to what you're doing this, what do you need to help? So they, they basically gave us grant funding to stop SCA work, focus on SEN. And we went from naught to a million in a scale in like two months and um we went and supported uh pretty much i would say a lot of the mutual aid networks across the uk we enabled local communities to buy food for each other um prescriptions shopping all the things that you know that took place at that time and then we just grew it from there so um so this was essentially sort of groups that are doing good in communities, coming together to do good, but don't have the sort of administrative and wherewithal and infrastructure to kind of do the accounts and sort themselves out in that way. And you you provide that sort of back office infrastructure that enables them to get on with making the change happen. That's what fiscal hosting is, is it? That's part of fiscal hosting. So mm-hmm. um, in addition to, to that, so the providing the back office function, we act as their decision makers. We act, right. we don't act as their decision makers, we act as their kind of governance where they can um, legally, where are they the kind of legal structure? And we okay. operate with the governance frameworks and the legislative frameworks on their behalf. Um, okay which is why we've chosen the legal structure that we have, um, which right. means they can apply for grant funding. We can go uh, with them. We receive it. Um, we pass it on. But we've really, because of the 10 years experience in the social change agency, we understand yeah. how grassroots, and not just grassroots, actually, all movements, global movements, yeah. um, you know, topic-based movements, how they work, how they tick. Um, yeah. And we've got the right tools to help them. So this was like another piece of um, kind of, um, there's another piece of the puzzle that we can use to support this space and right. what we've done is help support civil society in 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 a time where it's really really shrinking in the UK so right. currently we've got 450 groups that range from the really really small hyper local groups supporting a little park or um, yeah. to massive international global movements like parents for the future um, you know uplift 
Um, so we we have 450 groups, and we've we've seen all over the UK all, and internationally, and internationally, and we wow. funneled about yeah. it's coming up 17 million pounds in three years. Mm. Um, through right. our doors and right into the hands of the communities and the people that need it. And you you help administer that money, help... but you also provide, as you say, the the sort of legal structure and and the the governance that means that foundations and others can trust that that money is being managed correctly. Exactly. So we can offer grant distribution as we go through that, mm. um, and we have a really good. Um, and I think actually the 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 way that we've constructed it is really on the side of the social impact, not mm-hmm. necessarily on the side of the donor. Although obviously we understand that um, the money in is as important as the money out, but we, everyone wants yeah. to make impact. That's why we exist. So we are on the side of the impact of the way that if, uh, the money flow isn't working properly coming in, then we'll yeah. try and address that and it, and we'll try and address the impact on the other side. So we are entirely impact focused. Right. And how do you make money then? What's your what's your business model? So you're your company limited by guarantee, which means yeah. that you you are sort of locked in and you're charitable, aren't you? So you're sort of is that right? We're not actually. Charity? We're not. We're, okay. not, we're not actually. We we've deliberately chosen not to be a charity. Um, right. We okay. are company um, company limited by guarantee um, CIC, and our income comes in from uh, two ways. One, we charge five to seven percent on all incoming money. Okay. Um, and we also raise grants for our own um, core funding as well. So at the heart of the Social Change Nest, um, we have a help desk that we're slowly building out. And that's a one-stop mm-hmm. shop for groups that might need legal advice or insurance advice or um, HR advice. And they can come yeah. to us and we can help provide it. And we're starting to match make between um, different kinds of um, firms and groups that need volunteers as well. So um, we're hoping to and you be get that grants kind of, to cover that we yeah. get grants to cover that yeah yeah so you're the people who come to you for help don't pay for it but grants pay for it some pay but, some do pay for it actually okay. some do pay for it but ultimately it would be a grant a grantor that would pay for it so they yeah, might be right. a grantee that use our services but it gets written to their grant application so we've got a very very good uh, relationship with the majority of the foundation sector we handle yeah. grants for a lot of different um foundations that want to be able to grant in at this level yeah. um, especially where they um, groups don't want to be uh, incorporated or have a legal structure you know I've, sure. I don't know how many of you out there have a, at the start of their careers or building up your enterprises have a big row about who's going to be a treasurer and a chair and who and then people <laughs> get sidelined by um and get bedazzled by the status um, and actually if you're a, a, a movement or a network often you have a flat structure and the power dynamic is very different no one wants to take that responsibility. We also mm. work really closely with young um, young change makers and it's very hard for them because they often can't open up a bank account or they have to get the, a, an adult to do that on their behalf. And there's all kinds of trust dynamics that get thrown out with that. And actually having a fiscal host, having a neutral person in that space really makes a difference. The same for big coalitions. We work with a lot of big charities that are um, and foundations that are doing big system change work through coalition mm. building and we are a neutral space for them to hold that budget sometimes it's thousands and thousands of pounds and that decision making space because we don't have a you know we, we are neutral so we, so you certainly... almost like a sort of parent then or a guarantor or something i like to think of it like a butler 
Okay. I think we're more like the Albert to Batman than anyone else. Um, and Alfred, Alfred to the Batman. Um, so we are, um, we're not, I wouldn't say guarantor because that's not, we do, we're not FSA regulated, um, yeah, but right. we are, um, we are a mutual space. And we okay. and we offer we operate really really transparently. So we take all of the um, uh, learnings about how movements work and apply it to ourselves in particular. And right. um, I've got a great story actually about why we set up as a CIC. And I had this um, vision at the beginning that we could use our um, our uh, structure to invite the groups and movements that use us to join the membership of the CIC and be involved in our governance. And yeah. the Winston Churchill um, Memorial uh, Trust kindly gave me a grant. I'm one of their fellows um, as part of the COVID, post-COVID um, granting they were doing. And um, we did a lovely piece of work with um, uh, Kate uh, from Shared Assets at the time, looking at our governance structure. And we went and asked all of the um, mem- all of the groups, you know, would you like to join the membership and they and help us run in a more egalitarian way and everyone I would say 99% of people just said no <laughs> um, <laughs> mainly because the reason why they joined the the uh, nest was because they didn't have time to do their own governance and they and all resources to do, and they, they didn't so we've redone our um, customer engagement or client engagement as a result of that um, but I thought it was a fantastic piece of learning um, that, thanks to Winston Churchill for that yeah, so democracy sometimes isn't the best way forward, I guess, for it's, governance it, structures. Yeah, it's that old axiom: if you want to go far, and um, go with others, and if you want to go fast, you have to go alone. Right, right. So, in terms of how fast you've actually gone, then, how? how um, I wanted to ask you about kind of how the business has has done. So, where where were you in year one in terms of your profit and the impact you were making, and how does that how does that compare with where you are now? Sure. Um, so with the agency, it's um, it, it's a really different beast um, mm. because, like all agencies, they grow and shrink. Um, and we've yep. deliberately kept it as a as a place to um, undertake innovation and build yep. out prototypes of things. Um, so I don't. It's an almost unanswerable question. It's apples and pears, really. But for Nest, um, yep. which is where the growth has just accelerated very quickly, um, we've gone from naught to like 100 miles an hour in seconds um, yeah. and the first year we probably um i think we turned over maybe about 300k um yeah. and had a again was set up um a kind of expenditure um but each year we've turned we've turned profit yeah so yeah. it's it and it's we're now moving over to probably about a million turnover right and there's obviously a real need for it. I mean, foundations really need, really need you to distribute their funds, and the mutual aid groups and others need you to provide that infrastructure. Yeah, actually, foundations aren't our only customer. We also work really mm-hmm. closely with local authorities, NHS trusts, oh, really? universities. Mm. Um, we also we specialise in understanding how you do payment for involvement, especially with people who are in receipt of benefits. Again, that's come out of the right. work we've done in SCA. We've applied it to SCN. So being able to financially remunerate people for their time for sitting on an NHS board is really important. And we've mm. got a very easy and accessible answer to that so we're growing in all kinds of different ways 
Sounds like there are all sorts of knotty questions uh, or problems yeah. that you're, you know, in, in, in the way in which people can um, be paid for doing good in their community that you're actually answering. That's yeah. the kind of... I think you know, we've got a lot more of what you offer, really. Basically, we've got a very we've got a lot of bright minds in um, SCA and SCN who are really passionate about social justice and understand yeah. like with with social change, you've got two pillars of of um, of social change. One is administration, and the other one mm. is governance. And all of our um, processes are designed around that. And there is a gap in the market and a great need for those two things to take place efficiently for for yeah. people to create change at, in this type of way. So we're growing. But of course, that's the boring stuff for change makers, isn't it? That's the, yeah. that's the challenge because the change makers want to go out and make the change, you know. I mean, you're, you, you're, you and your team are obviously excited by maybe the more nerdy stuff, you know, the governance yeah. and the, and the exactly. process. We did, we did get excited. We called them the two queens of social change because actually <laughs> um, most it's, it's done mainly by women. It's the people that go and open up the church doors and make sure the room's swept and there's biscuits right. there for people to eat. It's kind of like that that yeah, side yeah. of thing. But we, we definitely need those two pillars for change to happen. And these these problems that most of the groups are solving, they're wicked problems. They're big systemic yeah. issues. And they can't it's not ever going to be solved by one person. So how yeah. do you ensure collaboration and and a movement? You need the infrastructure for it to work yeah. at scale. And no one else in the UK does what we do at the rate and the scale that we do it. So Oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited about what the past three years has shown us and where we're going right. with it. And to that point, we've just set up um, as part of Nest, it, um, uh, we called Social Change Hive, keeping on the nature theme, okay. um, where we offer um, sort of a social justice equivalent of an, uh, an umbrella organisation. So if you need to receive payment and be on payroll, we can offer that as part of our social impact as well, social impact model. Got lots so, of customers yet for that one? Yeah. Have you? Wow. Yeah, we well do. Done. We do. And it's it's part and parcel. But the reason why it's a nest is mainly because we expect, it's because our purpose is to build out civil society and mm. not to create a dependency culture as many of these movements and networks have been doing in an old form of philanthropy. Yeah. We're determined to help people strengthen and scale and grow so if they need to fly the nest we can do that yeah. we've got exit strategies for them to leave we want them to go we want them to be out and flourishing and be on their own two mm. feet and doing it and if they're not ready to go that's fine as well so we really that's why we called it a nest so what's the journey been like i mean i know it's been fast um but I'm interested in, you know, ha, ha, what have been the ups and downs, really? Has it been has it been a roller coaster ride or relatively smooth? Uh, how many entrepreneurs have ever said it's been smooth? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anyone on your podcast. I sort of expected you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely not. It's been a complete and utter roller coaster. I think mainly because it started in the pandemic, where you know mm. all. The systems and rules were down for a brief moment in time and it was that real moment where anything was possible and we leapt at it we jumped in right at the deep end yeah. and it's been we've done something that no one's done in the uk 
Um, we've been feeling our way through. We have no idea. Um, half of the stuff um, we're innovating all of the time and testing our models yeah. and iterating. And there's things that we um, come up against that we hadn't have anticipated. The Lobbying Act is a really big one where we've had to get a lot of legal advice on where our legal status is in terms of the election coming up and the groups that we okay. hold. Um, and then also smaller things like how do you um, make bookkeeping accessible for lots of people or mm. how do you support groups to grow or how do you bring them all together? Um, how do you connect the environmental movement with some of our social justice movement groups. Um, so it's been, it's never dull. Would it you have done it had dull. the pan? Would you have done it had the pandemic not happened? By the way, so is it? Yeah, is it something question. that we well we were experimenting with it? I think so. We were already mm. inclined to. We were looking for the solution to do it, and before the pandemic, it was cost prohibitive. As a as yeah. a product, it was too expensive to run because there wasn't a way to de- democratize bookkeeping. I can't believe I right. said those two words together. And um, <laughs> they and then this piece of tech from Extinction Rebellion, Open Collective, really it does that. And okay. if that hadn't been there, we would not have been able to make the the business model work. Right. To, yeah. For it to start, and you know, we 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 grew. We are on the side of impact, as I said before. So everything is designed to create that impact at scale. And I think if we had done it any other way, it would not have lasted after the Hmm. pandemic. Okay, so the pandemic gave you some impetus, but also kind of um, there was a sort of tech element to this that was really crucial. How about investment? Have Have you taken any investment? Have you looked for any investment over the last few years? We have actually. So obviously we're completely limited to our guarantee, no share structures, so investment's quite tricky. Um, we are ripe for, if we did have a share structure, we are ripe for investment right now. Um, yeah. we've, because we've got three years in, we've consistently turned profit. The minimum, the MVP works. We're growing. Mm. We've got a talented team. As I said, the market needs us. Um, and we currently are, we, we you know, we don't have that many competitors, but I mm. think that, um, we, it taking in social investment is a counterculture to some of the groups, most of the groups that we work with. Okay. Um, and we deliberately chose the company limited by guarantee because actually capitalism has created a lot of the troubles and the problems and issues that the groups are tackling and we mm. stand in solidarity with them. Although <laughs> we have we have approached um, a couple of the financial institutions for social uh, investment in the form of a loan yeah. to help we need to scale we also have a lot of um, we're taking on everyone's risk so mm. we need re- we need really strong uh, risk management and governance and and um, financial management so we do need more investment um but i have to say the uh wherever we go we're faced with a dichotomy of um opinion where we're doing something that's highly highly risky yeah and therefore unfundable or Isn't that what some... social investment was made for, though? I I think so, if I mm. if I remember correctly, um, and therefore too so risky, so risk uh, that people are not interested, mm. um, and then um, the other element has been well, actually, you're just doing what has always existed, and you know, charities have been doing this for since the seventies and eighties, so you know, what's new, but. Yeah. 
there's no middle ground. We haven't had any middle ground. So I think um, the we did go for, um, we've been looking at taking um, a social uh, loan. But again, the terms and conditions and the processes have been so convoluted and challenging. Right. I, I don't think it's worth it. And the ter- do you mean the terms and conditions, the process or or the process and also the terms of the loan? Both. So, for, you know, lending classically sort of is high, quite high interest over a short period of time. There's a lot of talk about about provide the provision of more patient capital being crucial, um, and, but also more flexible capital. So um, and there are, it is possible to get, you know, quasi equity as it's called or different equity like stuff where equity like investment obviously where you don't um have a share structure but you can still get equity like investment um that uh, over a longer period of time that that doesn't operate like a loan but have you tried accessing any of that sort of stuff um that one i haven't um Mm. but i also think that we're growing quickly yeah. And we're doing all kinds of interesting things in new product development. So um, I think we might, I might pick that back up in, okay. a, in a few years. But I also think it's a, it's a really interesting one, Tim, because the, we, we're, we are born of social justice and social movements. We're born yeah. out of a need for equality and equity. Um, and there's a part of me that feels like people need to be in this with us. And there's there's a large part of me thinks, well, actually, we, we're ripe for a capital grant, really, from one of the big grant makers um, okay. that should, because we are a really crucial part of the civil society landscape. And I, I think if we went down, right. we'd probably pull down half of the, the groups and movements that are operating in it. Um, and actually, we are, we've proven time and time again over the past three years that we've created impact. We've got so many groups doing incredible work, all the way from the three hijabis to uplift um you know i do so you're holding out essentially for for as you say a capital grant yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) holding out for prince charming i'm holding out for a capital grant um and there there is an element of solidarity here in like you you either with us on the mission or you're Mm. because you can't just be here to make the money back and as far as the social investors are concerned i'm not going to ask you to name names unless you want to but how many of them have you approached have you approached quite a lot of them um we've approached three okay okay um and it's been it's just every time we've looked at it um our it's we have a very obviously we're we're looking after a lot of money for a lot of people our books are very very complicated um it's a lot of work it takes so much time um, yeah. as everyone who's done this knows that you know I have to make a decision do I focus yeah. on growing the business do I focus on getting money in how do yeah. I keep my mental health not imploding yeah. while yeah. I'm managing okay. all of this and a small child so it's hard yeah and and has it been computer says no or fear of what you're doing that has stopped people from investing or or just it's got so turgid that you thought look we'll just go and make the money ourselves that one Okay. It's got so turgid. There's been one um, where his computer said no. Um, I yeah, and the other one is just it's just like wading through mud, and it, okay. it it feels is too much. Okay. Hello, I'm Tim West, founding editor of Pioneers Post, and I'm interrupting today's podcast for thirty seconds to let you know that you can get access to thousands more resources, interviews, and stories on PioneersPost.com as a subscriber. 
Subscribing is a really important way that you can support us. As a social enterprise ourselves, we rely on the income from subscriptions so we can produce more stories that help our growing global community of purpose-driven social entrepreneurs and impact investors to do good business better. So please take a moment to find out more at pioneerspost.com slash subscribe. And now back to the podcast. So you mentioned um, you mentioned mental health. You mentioned a small child. I don't know how old your small child is, but um, I. So I, I'd like to turn the conversation now away a little bit from the organisation and turn it to you, really. Um, so tell me about where you're from. What's your background, upbringing, education? How did you become a social entrepreneur as well? Uh, Good question. Uh, So I'm a North Londoner through and through. Most people can tell that from my accent. Um, I need to ask you something, Arsenal or Tottenham? Oh, no, I don't do I can't say this oh, publicly. because I know, oh, but we work very closely with the FA. So <laughs> okay. I can't, I feel like I publicly can't say I don't do football. Okay. Um, I appreciate the role football has in society. Uh, but I don't, I don't go to football games. I haven't got time, Tim, to go to football games. I just don't have time. Um, I used, I used to say Hendon FC, but I think they okay. sold, the, they sold the grounds. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, I said uh, London, and I, um, I, I ended up doing uh, religious studies at university, and I stayed yep. in uni all the way up to, um, to PhD level, where I, I ended up looking at charisma and leadership in cults, religious cults. And I spent a couple of years in a cult in Watford looking at where charismatic leadership goes horribly wrong. Uh, Fast forward on, I never thought I'd use all of the anthropological and sociological insight and psychology um, actually in business. And I realised last year that we were drawing on a lot of anthropology and sociology um, in the design of NEST. So we do a lot of trauma-informed work. We do a lot around how you keep groups safe. Mm. Um, and that actually, that all comes from anthropology. It's all really old about how society works and the insights is, and how we as humans treat each other. Um, and that all goes in. It's all human relationships at the end of the day. So I feel that though I never finished my uh, my PhD, it has. Re- I was at the London School of Economics. It's really stood mm. me um, in strong stead for where I am now. And my love of social justice um, comes from being diagnosed with MS at a very young age. I was um, right. 14, uh, 15 at the time, so quite some time ago. I was the youngest That's person. That's a big in, thing, a very young, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. I was the youngest person in the UK at the time to have uh, been diagnosed with it. I was uh, paralysed um, for a bit and I went blind for a bit and um that's with not a relaxing... record you want to have is it that's... well it's it isn't yeah. but it you know it's and it, i've got relapsing remitting i mean the forms okay. isn't it's not quite like that but um it's it's up and down yeah i'm not gonna lie and it has you know the impacts on your uh my everyone is very very different it's a really unique disease um, and the impacts on my cognitive, I think for me, it's it's sometimes physical, it's mainly cognitive. Yeah. Um, and I feel that sometimes my brain is not as, as sharp or as pointed as it could be. Uh, I definitely get words muddled up and my team will sometimes look at me quite blankly because I've used the wrong uh, noun where I've called a banana a chair or something. And I, I okay. wouldn't have realised that I've done it. So yeah. um, although it could also be old age, I don't know. <laughs> <It's hard laughs> so and I think what what that has 
bought me obviously I was at the mercy of the NHS um, mm. and also quite bullied at school because of it as well and I've had to fight for at times I've been really uh, really disabled have to fight for benefits and then yeah. I have to fight and I've been on both sides I know what it's like to be in a wheelchair and not be able to get up on the pavement yeah um so it's been um it's definitely been uh, a real challenge and then I think on the positive side, because, you know, everything is, if you treat it right, can be a, a, a superhuman power. Mm. Um, it is taught, the MS is a really um, unpredictable disease and everyone has a different disease uh, progression. And the uncertainty, I think, makes you a good entrepreneur because mm. you, I can deal with uncertainty because I live with it day in, day out. It's a familiar, it's my friend. I walk with it like a shadow of of death it sits with me every single day as you go through life and it, it doesn't scare me so it kind of like I'm not worried about things and I think um it is it's helpful and I was also on the board of the MS Society for a long time and that was right. you know being able to bring both my love of governance um and my lived mm. experience into that space was really useful um so yeah it's been that's kind of a little bit about my background Sure. And I, I like to ask people about some of the biggest and hardest challenges, decisions that you've had to make as a social enterprise leader. So so let's start with that sort of challenging one first. What what has been your biggest mistake or failure, do you think? And what have you what do you learn from that? Oh, so many. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um I think that um, I underestimated the impact of the pandemic on my team mm. and the people around. And I think that was, that's been really challenging. Um, and I think there's, there's definitely, we've, we've learned to slow down a bit um, and be right. more careful with, with the people we work with, with our clients um, because actually we were just like, yeah, fine, we'll just keep going. And then yeah. actually there, there isn't, there's a huge um, mental health challenges that have been thrown up by lockdown and, yeah. you know, we are living and breathing them. So I think that's definitely been a big challenge. I, I was, um, I had my, uh, I got pregnant in lockdown actually, and right. um, was uh, in the first year of setting up Nest, I then had to go on maternity leave. And my big mistake, right. I think, was not, really understanding as the first person that been through that at work not really understanding the impact of having a child and what that does right. to uh you as a woman running a business um and i i think next time um particularly your any, own business actually particularly your own business yeah and uh, we all know what the impact is of having children on many women's careers but actually i was looking um very carefully for advice um i approached yeah. lots of different people no one could help there isn't actually any advice out there for women that run businesses that are trying to plan how to have the best maternity leave possible. Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely need out there if anyone else is listening can step in. Um, I keep. Did that you give in. yourself? Did you give yourself a real maternity leave or or not? Did you were you tempted to work? I got pulled back in after three months. Right. Hmm. Um, and that was very very challenging um mm. and I think the the year afterwards was probably the darkest year of my life right 
Yeah, it's really, I think anyone that's has had, I mean, having small children is always challenging, but I think trying to do that, deal with post lockdown, um, MS and a business mm-hmm. um, with, you know, with the changing nature of work and the changing nature of how people relate to work yeah. um, was really, really challenging. Well, I think we, we've got, we're getting through it. Also questioning, I would imagine, some of your fundamental priorities, you know, your you've got a, a relationship and a small child who is suddenly number one, but then the business used to be, probably you thought used to be number one, but they're all they're all there in the priority list and it's very hard to kind of, you know, they're, you, you've got two different kinds of babies. You've got a business and a real child and yeah. how on earth, how, and, and all the people responsible, you're responsible for within the business as well. And suddenly, oh, I, all of that yeah. is thrown up in the air, isn't it? Actually, yeah, and two cats as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it does. It, you know, everyone says, "Oh, you we we you question your priorities after you have a baby." And it's like, well, I, I don't. Mm. I have um, obviously Seb, who's my my, uh, my son, is two and a half now. He's obviously my priority. He's that's sure. it. Um, and I think what you learn to do is juggle. Like every parent who speaks to you, your time management is key. Um, and your boundary setting um, and I think what's been amazing is the team um, my Sapna Patel in particular my operations director is incredible and you know mm. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for her so there's right. she's just been an absolute pillar all the way through everything and she is you know we've we've complemented each other um, yep. and it's you know it just it is a collaborative effort yeah, I, I can't yeah. say oh it's all my business and it it looks like it but actually there is there's loads of us in it and we all have sure. play a part the same as in my family life and personal life it's not just me it's also Seb and my partner yeah. and actually you know we all we all got responsibilities to making it work sure yeah so I, I want to ask you about another difficult decision although it's a decision I gather you weren't involved in making but um uh, until about a year ago I think you were on the trustee board of the house of St Barnabas mm. um which is the social enterprise members club in central London that um, w- gives opportunities, you know, for people who were homeless to sort of train in the hospitality industry. Very sadly, we learned that um, it closed its doors with immediate effect earlier this month because it couldn't, couldn't make the kind of finances work. Just wanted to get a little bit of uh, reaction from you on that. I stood on that door on Tuesday and had a little cry mm. in the middle. It's that the the vision of what we were trying to achieve in that social enterprise it was just incredible. And um, Rosie and the team are just, you know, we took so many brave just decisions. CEO, yeah. Just CEO, mm. yeah. Um, took so many brave decisions to keep that vision alive and to really understand how to use the house as a force for good in the lives of homeless people in the capital um and not just homelessness but also employment and understanding the link Mm. between employment and 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 work and housing and homelessness and all of that and also do it with grace with humor with art with culture Mm. it was a whole whole human approach and um it is completely heartbreaking that it has ended and i've been in other clubs and it doesn't they don't have the same soul yeah 
It's also yeah, a London, the... you know, I'm a Londoner. It's mm. also the club is a London thing. I went there, you meet other, you know, it was just, it was just brilliant. I bumped into artists and, and musicians and just chatting about stuff. It's just, it, it, it's such a shame. And the decision to close it, you know, we, I, I can't speak for what happened in the boardroom because I'm obviously left a year ago, but yeah. I would pretty much guarantee that they went down fighting because mm. we all believed in the vision. Mm. And I think what's happened fundamentally is lockdown and how hospice and the impact on hospitality. And I can't yeah. imagine, you know, it's not just the house of St. Barnabas that's suffering. The costs have gone up. Cost of living has gone up. People purchase differently. It is, it is challenging. And they had a, didn't they have a fire and a ceiling collapse and all sorts yeah, of things that, as well? All those so, things. It's, it's an old yeah. building. And there was, and yeah. I think it's the resilience over lockdown as we all have experienced has you know, it has eaten into the reserves pretty much like it's done um, for a lot of businesses out there. Sure. We'll we'll, we'll be exploring that in more detail elsewhere, but I just wanted to get your your take on it, really. Um, So let's get back to um, your experience as a leader. Um, And when we talk about good leaders in this podcast, we're partly referring to the positive mission of the organisation because, you know, you're doing good, but also simply to the qualities of the person who runs it, what does actually make a good leader? So what do you think um, are the qualities that make a good leader? So you're inspiring Dame Mary Marsh on me because I was a 2011 Claw Fellow and she has got the uh, know yourself, be yourself and look after yourself tattooed like in the recesses of my brain. Um, Mary, if you're listening, I'm definitely channeling you uh, right now. (laughs) Um, And I think that is... Yeah, those those things. She was right. They are those three things are really really key to being a good yeah. leader and um, really understand where your shortcomings are. Um, understand yeah. like your impact on others around you and that you do carry that. Um, and also that you're going to make really difficult decisions that people don't like, and you have mm. to be comfortable with not being liked and making those decisions and just yeah. man up, put on your big girl pants, and sort of get on with it. Um, and I think that for me, the empathy and compassion, um, not sweating the small stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and making sure people feel listened to um, and respected as you go through that process. I mean, there are processes mm-hmm. that are horrible, but they don't have to and have not a positive outcome, but they don't have to be a bad experience. So sure. making people redundant, you know, no one does that willingly. If you could, you would have keep everyone employed all the time. But how you do it is really crucial. Hmm. And and if you were to look at the qualities that you have as a leader, good and bad, um, and you had to ask your team what those qualities were, what do you think they would say? I was going to ask them, but then I got too scared. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think they um, they'd probably say that I am quite dynamic and visionary, um, and. Um, quite a lot of energy I suppose that's dynamic um and um good to say was I'm I'm responsible for the business development um and I think the um they're also all my bad qualities because I probably try and do too much um I I'm not the best details person which is why I have a team of people um that are details people so we learn mm-hmm. how to complement each other um uh and I think that um the, the best the some of the feedback that I've had from people over the years actually is that I just believe I thank you for believing in me I believe in my staff mm. I believe in the people that have been 
have worked for me or worked with me and have left like they're all they've all been amazing and if they've left they've gone on to do incredible things and I I really do believe in all of their um capabilities to do that yeah and is there anything keeping you awake at night at the social change agency or social change nest at the moment I mean you you mentioned the need for a, a prince charming grant I mean is that is that is that the thing that you worry about most no the thing that I worry about most, there's two things that keep me awake at night. One is the lobbying act, because mm. I see it as symptomatic of a shrinking civil society. Right. Um, and how we've just watched the way that it has silenced. Um, it's designed to, to silence a lot of the groups that we work with. And I, I look at it and I think this is, you know, I remember campaigning against it in 2011. And now I'm living the reality of what it's done. And the second thing that keeps me awake at night is the growing uh, queue of people outside the food bank at the end of my road. And that right. every every Friday I walk past it, it's increased by 100 people. And, you know, we're, we're trying to set up a Brent Giving locally to join the London Giving Movements. Um, and it's those things that that really, really, really bother me. And I mm. think, what, what, do we, what can we do within our power to help? end it accelerate the solution do something to stop it so those are the things that keep me awake at night and how about you personally and in, in you mentioned that you know you had you've had a dark time relatively recently ha- have you ever had leadership burnout and, and how have you dealt with that I've had three or four significant leadership burnouts so I don't know if that's higher than average or not um and I think that was definitely post after maternity leave, trying to manage mm. a really small baby and a post pandemic in a team and everything. I think that was definitely a burnout moment. Mm. Um, and I've had a few over the years. Um, and I think what is, uh, yeah, we just had to, when you've got small children, you sort of have to just get on with it, <laughs> which is probably not what people want to hear, but you know, your baby looks and you can't really be burnt out because I'm also responsible for paying the mortgage and the bills and, you know, everything else. So um, there are, there've been some, some moments where it's been really, really challenging for sure. And that third thing that, that you mentioned from Dame Mary Marsh, look after yourself. So to, I wanted to ask about your life away from the business. How do mm. you find time to look after yourself and what does that look like? I do um I've just started doing powerlifting in the gym <laughs> so okay. time for myself is actually uh powerlifting and like understanding how much I can lift in weight so that's been really interesting I go for walks I cycle um I uh, see friends I do pilates um so I try and you know I see all the lovely people I've got an amazing network of people that live near me probably as a result of being involved in our mutual aid group Right. Um, and, you know, I just sort of get on with it. And also spending time with, with um, Seb and my other half and my cats and my family. And, you know, I take strength and, and grace yeah. from from the people around me and the wonderful women and women's networks I'm involved in. I've, I'm part of a moon network uh, in my area. And every every full moon, we try and meet in the local park and go moon gazing. So there's this thing wow. and just talk about, you know, we, womb and moon it's called <laughs> brilliant yeah and what's been your proudest moment so far what 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 drives you to keep going when things are most challenging that you think about oh that's a good question I think for me it's when our groups 
are doing are achieving like their purpose mm-hmm. and we know they wouldn't have been able to do it if we hadn't been there so it's things like seeing uh, three hijabis be nominated and win one of the awards did you see it this week in um no i didn't no. in uh the big issue uh awards oh, the impact okay. and i was right. like oh god they were, they were they were like just forming when they came to us and now they, and then uplift again tiny when they came and now just doing incredible systemic yeah. work that wouldn't have happened and you know if you just feel really proud they probably don't know that but yeah. i just feel really proud the fact that you've been a part of it makes a, a big difference yeah 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 and what's the next big development then the next exciting thing on the horizon for 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 both social change nest and for you yourself um i have to work through um what happens uh when your child goes into school <laughs> like mm-hmm. work through my t- so I think I've got that to look forward to um and yeah. also as I said before we, we're launching the social change hive um so that's that's gonna sure. be it's coming up and we've got lots and lots of things in the pipeline um just getting started really so Great. yeah looking forward to this year and what it's going to bring brilliant so we're going to play a little game now just to end, which is which is the game of um, choosing between one thing and another that we, we do at the end of these podcasts. It's a series of quick fire questions mm. and you just tell me um, which thing you choose. Um, so I'm going to just start away. Um, breakfast or dinner? Dinner. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Meat or veggie? Meat. Starter or pudding? Starter. And is there a particular starter that you choose? Oh. A favourite? Oh, no. Uh, well, like any starter. <laughs> I, I often will go for two starters rather than the starter oh, okay. and pudding. <laughs> All right. Okay, people or planet? People. Local or global? Oh, gosh. Global? <laughs> Business or charity? <laughs> Business. Grants or investment? Oh, Tim, that's not fair. Um, <laughs> uh, grants? Okay. A walk or a workout? Walk. Sounds like you're doing both at the moment. Sunshine or snow? Sunshine. Dancing or singing? Dancing. Seaside or countryside? Seaside. Art or science? Art. Theatre or cinema? Cinema. Biography or fiction? Fiction. Okay, and here's some interesting ones, hopefully. Trump or Putin? Oh, wow. That's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to answer that one. (laughs) Megan or Kate? Oh, Kate. Barbie or Oppenheimer? I haven't seen Oppenheimer. Ah, I did uh, like uh, Ariana film, Huffington. Though. Okay. <laughs> Ariana Huffington or Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and I those are both on your LinkedIn influencers, apparently. So oh, Ryan. that's why I've asked you about them. Ryan, oh, yeah, okay. no, Ryan He's quite funny. <laughs> religion or philosophy? Because you studied both, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um probably religion. Happiness or fairness? Fairness. Confidence or resilience? Resilience. Evolution or revolution? Revolution. 
Esther Foreman from the Social Change Agency and Social Change Nest. Thank you very much for joining the Good Leaders podcast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Good Leaders with me, Tim West, founding editor of Pioneers Post. If you like what you hear or have comments, questions or suggestions for guests, then please get in touch via Twitter at Pioneers Post or email goodleaders at pioneerspost.com. 